Are we good? We good, we good, we good, we good, we good. This is episode 15 of that One Vatos podcast, the Quinceanera episode. Uh, my next guest <laughs> <laughs> is a three-time number one New York Times bestselling author. Did I get that right? No. We have two that were number one, but three that were on the list. Three so on the list. Three-time New York Times bestselling author. Two times we were number one. Whatever. It's a lot. He's a writer for The Ringer. He's um, a hood rat from the South Side, Mr. <laughs> <Okay>. Shea Serrano. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever been introduced as a hood rat from the South Side. There you go. That's how I, that's how I know we're in San Antonio right now. <laughs> how are you, man? I'm good. Um, so what have you been up to lately now that the you know the, the book tour is kind of over? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a couple more spots that we're going to hit up, but for the most part, everything has slowed down now. So it's just, you know, you're you're in decompression mode right now, trying to get back to just being a being regular again. <laughs> um, so any pieces that you're working on right now for the ringer? Yeah, I'm always working on something. At the moment I'm writing about uh, this about Christian Bale. You know Christian mm-hmm. Bale, the actor? Yeah. The uh, one who like gets swole and super skinny. That guy, yeah. Five minutes. Uh, yeah, yeah, the fighter. That's John uh, Michael's voice if you if you're wondering who that is. the fighter's great. Yeah, it's really good. It's a, it's a really, really strong opening with uh, Christian Bale and Mark Wahlberg sitting on the couch getting interviewed. And what's, what I really like about the, that part is you see the difference in, in, in like, acting ability immediately yeah. between Christian Bale, who's like an Oscar-level actor, and Mark Wahlberg, who's like, the, like Wahlberg. a fucking <laughs> like a, like a piece of ham Mark, in a tank top. But Mark Wahlberg kills all TNT daytime movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like fucking Four Brothers, that was called. Yeah. Hey, Four Brothers goes hard, dude. <laughs> it's a great movie. Dude. It's a, it's like a terrible movie, but yeah, it's but fun. Just to watch. You just know what I'm just to put it on. Yeah. Like, let me see you go in the gym with the gun and like. Uh, I want to watch that. I want to see that. <laughs> Where was it? Detroit, right? They're in Detroit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dude, he gets they fucking light up the dude's house, and they're just running through the brick with a machine gun. And like, I was like, well, that'll never fucking happen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude. Oh man, so. You have a three, it's three book deal, right? So you had the, the first two that you've done already? No, this and is the a, Other Things series. And the, the Other Things series is, is a three book series, yeah. But the deal we're under now is a two book deal. So the Basketball and Other Things came out with a different publisher than the movie one. Okay. And then and the next one. Um, so we have one more left that we're going to do, yeah. Damn. So I know you hate the process of writing the book. Yeah, it super sucks. Uh, <laughs> it's really, really when, when are you going to even start that process? I'll start that book next year sometime, probably like February or, or March. They usually take about a year and a half to write um, and edit it. So we'll start somewhere around then and then just sort of make our way through it slowly. When, do you fig- when did you figure out like your, your niche as a, as, writing, as a book writer? Because I remember when you were writing the rap your book, you were like basically pushing it to the side and then your editor would hit you up and you're like, oh shit, all right, let me write this real quick. Yeah. Um, all the book stuff just sort of happened by accident. Um, nobody expected for the rap year book to like be anything. Uh, publishers will print up what they call runs, which are like, this is how many books we think you're going to sell in two years. And we're going to print that many up mm-hmm. to start. And with the rap year book, they printed up like 15,000 for the first run. And they're like, all right, by 2017, we'll hopefully have sold this many. And like, that'll be good. And the first week we did like 8,500. And then by the second week, we had run out of the 15,000 and it was like, um, you know, something's going on here, but like, whatever. The, that, that particular book, they paid me 25 grand to write it. And so that's not a, 
again, this is a two-year process. That's not like a livable wage for two years. No. In my head, it was very much like a sort of part-time job. Well, that's They're, crazy. Yeah. So 8,500 bucks, like out the jump. 25, yeah. 25,000 bucks is not... You would think that you would get paid more. Yeah, I, because nobody knew it was gonna it was gonna do that. Like the next book, they had to pay me more, and then the book after that, they had to pay me even more because the numbers just kept going up. But like to start, that's just what the like most times I, that's what publishers will do, especially for like a nonfiction book, especially for a nonfiction book about rap. And it's like name another rap book that's sold a bunch by somebody that's like not Jay Z. For sure. And you know you just don't mm -hmm. think of two. They, they just don't sell a bunch. Um, so yeah, I was very much treating it like a part-time job and just sort of doing it whenever I wanted to do it. We were like six months late on it. It was like a whole a whole shitty thing. Um, I remember you were um, you were still teaching at the time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when did you realize, like, okay, I'm not going to teach anymore? Because I remember you were contemplating going back to teaching when mm -hmm. the rap yearbook came out. Yeah. So, so the way that all that stuff worked, I started freelancing while I was teaching. I taught for nine years in South Houston. And... Uh, when I was teaching, I was making, I don't know, like $40,000 a year or something. Basically, every two weeks, my check was like 1100 bucks, 1000 bucks, something like that. So I've got this money coming in over here, and I'm freelancing to like make additional money. And slowly, the freelancing money that I was making was starting to catch up with like the teacher money. Mm -hmm. And once it got to about the same level and started to get a little bit past it, it was like, well, I'm doing all of this part-time freelancing what if I'm not teaching anymore and now I have 60 more hours a week to work on writing? What does that look like? And so we, that's when we started having those conversations. And uh, Bill Simmons showed up and he offered me like a proper writing job. I'm going to pay you for the year. I'm going to give you a salary. Um, this is for Grantland, right? This is for Grantland, yeah. This was in 2014 is, is the first time we did it. No, 2013. 2013 he showed up and... He wanted to, to hire me to like come write for him. And I was like, all right, that sounds cool, but I don't want to leave teaching. So we did like a part-time contract. But basically, I'm only going to write for Grantland now, Grantland and teaching. And I like, I enjoyed that um, a bunch. And by the, the end of that year, we were like, all right, let's do, you know, he wanted to do full-time. I kind of wanted to do full-time too. So I said, okay, we'll do a one year of full-time contract and I won't teach anymore. I'll just be be doing this so it was like a process that happened slowly but but you know you're just sort of watching your money increase um it's not a lot again yeah. this is like by the end of year one of freelancing i was maybe making a thousand bucks a month by the end of year two i was maybe making two thousand bucks a month um and then just sort of like hustling where i could to get whatever other little monies i could um but once it caught up to the teaching money then it's like maybe i can maybe i can chase this down after all uh, was it difficult to leave teaching because you know, you kind of developed that relationship with students and kids or no? Yeah, that was really that was really hard um, hard to do and less because like uh, of a relationship with a specific kid because you're only with them for the year and then mm -hmm. they're gone anyway. And I was teaching eighth grade, so like you don't even see them on campus anymore because they move on to the high school. Yeah. But but more just about what like teaching meant to me as a as a profession. Teaching allowed me to feel important. It allowed me to to like. I taught at a school in South Houston that was predominantly Hispanic. It looked very much like the schools that I went to. Uh, I taught the ESL population. I taught the like special ed population. I taught the behavior kids. I taught like I taught all of the classes that I was in when I was growing up, hmm. and uh, and it just made me feel good. So it was that made it difficult to 
to walk away from. And also I just sort of assumed anyway I was gonna go back to teaching when like writing fell apart um, after the year or whatever, but it just kept on working out. Uh, now that you brought up like, you know, the way you grew up, uh, what was it like growing up on the South Side for you? Uh, it seemed normal at the time, it seemed regular. You know, you're just sort of ripping and running with your friends, you're like at fucking H-E-B shoplifting say or whatever <laughs> and this, this is just like oh this is what we do like we go we get our haircut at rios and valley high and like sure it was like 495 and everybody's got the me and my cousin were just talking about this the other day i remember going in there and they've got the big mirrors with like the names painted across the top i don't know if they still have that but like, no, it'd be like yeah, yeah 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 you're just like looking around you write your name in the little notebook um, dude that's a, that's like a thing that like now that i've gone to like a traditional barbershop like like in, like where it's not just like fucking whoever the fuck walks in right it's, yeah you have to make an appointment but i remember going to like rio's signing putting your name in there or like going we actually my mom would only take us the first day before school like the, the sunday before we went to school yeah and then we had picture like a, a picture. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. we take us to get our hair cut that's that, all you get baby <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you used to have shaggy hair too. Yeah. I used to have shaggy hair because it was like I, I couldn't think of, like I didn't, I never thought of spending twenty five bucks on a haircut every two weeks. Yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> it's really nuts. And then you start like tailoring your haircut. You're like, I'm not gonna get a haircut for two months, so I can't get a fade because yeah. by week three it's gonna look awful. So I'm just like, let it grow out. Go out a little bit. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, re- I remember doing all this stuff, and you're like crossing your fingers, hoping like. Oh, Marisol is like, let it be Mari, please let it be Mari because yeah, she like, gives the best fade. There's one who's always the best. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. And then there's one that's like way past your prime. Yeah, and you don't <laughs> want that one. Hair for no fucking reason. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't live on the south side because I live on the west side. All you had was Acapulco, dude. And there's like 55 dude, they, of them on Guadalupe Street. <laughs> See? Hey, dog. A barber college um, but yeah, you're, you're just like doing all of the stuff everybody's doing. You're doing that. You're playing basketball at Miller's Pond. You're just sort of hanging out at Ingram Park Mall, whatever. Like, yeah, it do, it doesn't it doesn't feel unique or or weird until you like go and you sit in a room with people that didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the three of us, I, I I can close my eyes and I know like what it was like at your house on a Tuesday at four in the afternoon and like. There's nobody there except you and maybe your sister or brother because yeah. your parent is probably working whatever job they're working. Like, I know what that what that looks like. But then I go and I like, <clears throat> if I go to LA and I'm like in a room with people who make movies for a living and I'm like, oh, you lived a way different. Yeah. It, it, it just all looks, it all looks different. The first time I felt that I remember was going from Southwest High School to Sam Houston State University. Southwest, again, almost exclusively Hispanic. With like a very small black population, very small Asian or white. It was like a group, and yeah. that was it. That's all you got. It's like, like people, there's like, like people that live like, because Southwest is like half like country, mm-hmm. so yeah. there's like wealthy white people that had like big trucks and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then everyone else is from the hood. Yeah. Damn, dude. Like me, for me, it was like everyone's on the same level playing field. Like we're all poor. Yeah. No, there's so, always like in our. I remember in our high school. There was a guy named Andy. And Andy had like a really nice truck and everybody thought he was a superstar. And then you like move and you realize like Andy's parents were probably making 50 grand a year. And we thought he was a millionaire. We thought he was super rich. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bro, I did. I thought people were rich if they had, <laughs> one, if they had like two parents and then two, if they had like two vehicles. I was like, holy yeah, yeah, shit. Yeah. Oh they got God. it made, dog. I mean, like, <laughs> they don't got EBT like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
But then I like go to Sam Houston. Sam Houston has a really small Hispanic population. There were maybe like a hundred Mexican kids there wow. out of fifteen thousand. So I like walk in and everybody's either like a big black population, a mostly white population. But you're like, I had never been to like a white part party before, or like a black party. They look different than Mexican parties do. Like every room I walk into, I'm looking around I'm like, where the fucking rest of the Mexicans? Eventually, I found them. There's like a small group. I joined this like Hispanic fraternity, oh, wow. and it was like I'll just I'll just be with my people. I guess it was like it felt like when you watch like a prison movie, and you're like you find your people and you link up with them, and like y'all just move as a unit. Was it your first time actually feeling like a minority? Yeah, for sure. Because I know for me, like when I went left San Antonio to like Detroit, I felt weird. I'm like, holy shit, like I'm Mexican. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't want to feel like that. That's I, scary. It's really it's really like it throws you off balance because you're just used to. Like when I walk through downtown, like I'm used to seeing brown hair, brown eyes, dark yeah. brown hair, dark brown eyes, whatever. And then I'm like in LA or New York or whatever, and it looks different. It sounds different. It smells different. Everything is, everything is. You got to learn how to sort of move in those worlds. Did um, Sam Houston State ever have breakfast tacos, or are they like a burrito town? Uh, no, nah, they had like. I mean, we were making our own at this point. Again, you find your group. It, it's like <laughs> a, in Goodfellas when they're all cooking up in prison. Oh, that's right. You know, that's a, that's a. <laughs> we had this guy Rolando and Rolando would do the cookout all the time and he'd just show up and it was like he's gonna find fucking H-E-B Hill Country Fair like fajitas and all this and like oh I know this food I remember what this is like yeah nice um, was there like a moment in college where you just had like you're like fuck I don't wanna be here I wanna go back home or was it because you found that community you were fine um, I didn't jo- I didn't find those guys until like my junior year maybe or, oh, shit. or into sophomore year That's I mean I had seen them and I knew they were yeah. a thing but I didn't feel like I needed to it's be it's a long minute dude I didn't feel like I needed to be a part of them until maybe like two years in yeah. um, I didn't I didn't want to go back to San Antonio when I was younger okay uh, I felt like I had watched Valley High chew up enough of my friends mm-hmm. um you know, you're working at like, if you're working anywhere, you're you're at like the fucking Menchaca tire shop off of 90 or like that was a good job to, to have yeah. or like if you got a city job or whatever. But mostly, mostly it was like bad things were happening to the kids I grew up with. And I was like, I don't want to be around for that. I don't want to, I don't want my life to look like, like what some of my uncle's lives look like. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be that. What made you want to go to college? Because, I mean, you kind of emulate what you see. Who was in your ear like, hey, like, go to college? <laughs> that was, a, again, um, uh, there was a girl that I liked who had joined, like, the college prep program at school. And I was like, well, if I join that, I'll get to be around her. <laughs> so I did that. And uh, then she immediately stopped liking me. And I was like, well, I'm fucking stuck in here. I guess I'll take the SATs. And, uh, but yeah, nobody in my family had ever gone to college. Um, I was like the first one to, to like do any of the, any of this stuff. Um, so I just wanted to get out and I was like, it was either that or the military. And I remember my mom sat me down and she was like, you're either going to go to Sam Houston state or Fort Sam. Oh shit. (laughs) Pick one of those two. Cause come Monday, you will not be in this house anymore. And I was like, God damn. Uh, I guess I'll do Sam Houston. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, I got I was able to get in there. Like on, I like showed up on academic probation because all my test scores were so low. Oh, damn. They had me like take special classes when I got there to prove like I wasn't an idiot. And, that was uh, me yeah. my, when I got to SAC. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. I'm like, oh, uh, I'm in like remedial math class. This sort of this sort of shit. Um, was it easy? Because I know when I they gave me remedial math, I was like, I don't belong here. It's because I didn't know how to sign up for college. 
I oh no, I didn't. I didn't know how to do math. It was oh, hard. she okay, okay. I was like, I don't know. No, I, I don't know how to divide like, fractions. I, I feel like they. I don't want to blame the high school I went to, but I definitely was not prepared for like collegiate level. Hell no, they just prepare you to like graduate. That's it. Like they don't prepare you for college. Yeah. I, I remember I was really bad at math. Like by the time I was like a junior in high school, and I was like, I had to find myself on my own. Fuck, oh, dude. Yeah, I was just cheating my way through. I was just never good at it. I'm like, my ex girlfriend re- did my accounting work for me. <laughs> I, re- I remember I went to school with this guy named Jay, uh, Jerome Martinez. He was like the coolest guy that I'd ever met. He has a cool name. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he was like the he was just this like really hardworking, smart Mexican kid. And he was like, not in our like our, we had our our little idiot group. And Jay sort of existed on his own. He was just doing whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. He, he was, like, good at everything. Yeah. And we ended up in classes with Jay. And Jay recognized that we were all idiots. And he was like, I'm going to help y'all pass this stuff. And he, came, he, like, invented this new way to cheat. Because the problem with cheating is if you're sitting at the desk, you have to, like, glance over to see, like, if somebody's writing that. I remember he helped us in, like... <laughs> he helped us in the beginning, like in math classes or, or, or science, and then eventually he ended up in like the honors classes, yeah. and we're still in like damn the the, the slow versions. Yeah, yeah, not even regular. <laughs> like we're we're in the, the the pacing the pacing class, or whatever. But Jay came up with this like really brilliant way to cheat, where you don't have to look anymore because if you're like taking a Scantron test, it's a, it's either A, B, C, or D. And so he was like, all right, this is the plan. I'm going to take my test. You guys sort of sit somewhere behind me. You're going to, you won't have to look directly at me. But like when the answer is A, I'm going to put my hand right here on the desk. And you don't have to look to see where a hand goes. Like I can look. I, I can look right here and out of my peripheral. I can still see you, Jose. Like, yeah. It's good. I see you're reaching for the water. You're not, I'm not looking at you right now. So he came up with this thing. He's like, A is right here. B is right here. C is right here. D is right here. And we did that for like. A good little, a good like a semester or two, like yeah. that was our, that was how we got through, whatever. What would suck is when you would like, he would, you would finish a test or he would finish and get up and you'll be like, oh, I still have two questions left. Like I messed up the pattern somewhere. <laughs> oh, and like, fuck, oh fuck, bro, oh, I, that was the I'm worst. screwed on this one. So it was like I was gonna get a 98 on the test or like a 42, and just like that was it, bro. <laughs> so what did you major in in um, college? I majored when I first got there. I majored criminal justice, right? In criminal justice, uh, because Southwest had a criminal justice program, and uh, that was like the one thing I was good at. What if they still have it? I have no idea. I've not been back. Yeah, I haven't um, been back to there since I graduated, but it was a pretty big thing. Yeah, they had like their own little career building. Uh huh. Oh shit! That was the first time that I was like good at something in school that wasn't like art or basketball or whatever. And uh, so I was like, oh, I'll just do this. This will be my job. And Sam Houston was the school you would go to for that. Uh, so oh, that's where right. I went there. And, and I'll never forget, I, I'd gotten like a year into school, maybe two. I was taking a, a class in the summer. And the professor, I don't remember her name, Dr. Something or other, she was walking around very like dramatically, in my head it was dramatically, uh, putting these like manila folders down on everyone's desk. Boom, boom, boom. And then she went to the front of class and she was like, open them up. Um, the class was like some sort of crime scene investigation sort of thing. And I opened it up and it was like photos of a crime scene, like that, like actual dead bodies that this is not like movie shit anymore. This is like a, this is like an actual dead man and a dead woman and a dead child that I'm looking at pictures of. And I knew right then, like I, that I'm not built for this. I can't do this. Yeah. I left the class. Like when class was over, I went straight to the counselor and I was like, I need to change my major because I can't do what we were just looking at in there. Like that can't be my life. 
and uh, and I ended up changing it to psychology only because most of the classes that I had taken applied to that one as well and oh, I didn't okay. want to like have to restart um, so yeah there you go oh wow that's funny so when did you meet uh, Laramie I, I met Laramie uh, the end of my freshman year we had a class together uh-huh. we had a sociology class together and she was in there and she was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen just elegant in a way that I'd never experienced before and I was like, I, that I need to, I need to talk to this young woman, yeah, right here, and uh, that's that's when we met. Oh wow! Uh, and you said you followed her to Houston. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. She's from Houston. I met her at the end of that first year. We like sort of grew through college together. We ended up moving in together. We, we became like serious boyfriend and girlfriend. And when she graduated, because she graduated before I did, mm-hmm. um, again, because I was bad at school. Uh, she was like, I'm going back to Houston. And that was like the whole conversation. And I was like, okay, uh, can I come too? Because I, <laughs> I don't know where else to go. I don't want to go back to San Antonio. Yeah. Can I come with you? And she was like, yeah, come on. We'll, we'll go together. And then wow. she waited for me to graduate. I finished up that summer. And then we went down there together. Wow. Um, what was Houston like initially? Like, was, was it overwhelming? Houston it's... was very overwhelming. It, it felt fast. Uh, we, we were in... We were in Huntsville for four years, four and a half years, something okay. like that. And everything there's like you're in the woods. Everything, everybody's moving sort of slow. You, you feel like you know every single person who was like in your orbit. Yeah. And then you get to Houston, which is one of the biggest cities in the country. And I felt like everyone was sprinting everywhere, and there were just so many people. Every single place that I turned, there was fucking people, people, people. It was like it was a lot to deal with when we first got there, for sure. Oh, wow. Um, So how long did it take you to get a teaching gig? That took a little over two years. And I showed up. I showed up and I was I started working. uh, The first job I had at college was like a construction job, which was miserable. And I did that for two years. And I knew pretty early on, like, again, I'm not built for this. This is not the world I want to be in. Yeah. Um, I don't want to want to lift up heavy things like this sucks. (laughs) Yeah. I want to do concrete work. Have you ever worked on concrete? Like. It's no. miserable. It's like the hardest thing in the world. Yes, yeah, um, Oh, you done it before? Yeah. Well, like in, my grandpa's like a kind of like the kind of person that's done everything. Yeah. yeah. Like, so there's been times where he'll pick up a job, like because they'll pay him some money, and he'll be like, "Man, help me." And I have five brothers, so we just be like, "All right, let's go." Yeah. Damn. It sucks. So I did that for about two years. Coming up on the end of my second year, I got um, an alternative certification in teaching. It was just like go to a class for six weeks couple nights out of the week and then you take a test at the end and you could be a teacher and uh and so i did that and that's how i started teaching wow yeah um when did you figure out who you were as a teacher oh shit that took that took a few years the your first year there the kids just beat the shit out of me <laughs> i was teaching at a middle school my first year i taught um sixth seventh and eighth grade so i went to the i remember i remember going to the interview um, I interviewed with this woman named Jane Crump. She was a principal. She was an incredible principal, like the kind you really hope you have. And Rosa Hernandez, she was an assistant principal. And Rosa was in charge of like the ESL population. And I walked in the interview and I sat down. And Rosa was just straight up like, oh, you're like a Mexican guy. And we don't have any of those. So you're going to teach the ESL kids. And you're going to coach soccer. And you're going to be in charge of LULAC, the League of United <laughs> LULAC? They, they just gave me all the Mexican shit. And I was like, all My right. My grandma was in LULAC. I need, a, I need a job. And and I started doing that. But yeah, that first year, they just beat the hell out of me. They ran every scam that they could on me, every like hustle, every trick. And I fell for all of them. 
and the same thing happened again the second year and then by by year three i started to like figure it out um i started to sort of i by that point i knew the curriculum i knew what like i i knew what the the neighborhood moved like and i knew like were you like Presbo and the wire? <laughs> I was like Presbo and the wire. Yeah, I just sucked in the beginning, and then I got and then I got better. But like you, you, you start to learn, and you're like, oh, okay, we're in Southeast Houston. Mm-hmm. These are like, I mean, to to like put it bluntly, these are like these are the gangs that are here. These are the, like the stories that all of the kids know that I need to know. These are like the things you're allowed to do and not allowed to do, and the things you can expect if you go to like a home visit, and. Uh, you just sort of start to put all that stuff together. It takes a few. It takes a few years. Teaching is really, really hard. Did for, it ever remind you of Valley High? For different reasons. Yeah, it did. It looks exactly like Valley High. It's the same sort of. These houses were built however many years ago. Um, they have burglar bars on the windows. The, you see the same like people walking down the street and in each of the neighborhoods. It looked exactly like it did, and and I think that that gives you. That certainly gave me an advantage when. Uh, when dealing with the kids, you like mm-hmm. have this sort of shared experience, and like you already know, like if you if you've never been around that world before, and you show up, you have there's like a steep learning curve. Like you mentioned the quinceanera, this is a quinceanera episode. Like there's a group of people who don't know what that is, yeah, and the, it, and that's just how it works. So like if you have some younger teachers show up who are part of like Teach for America, who are from Maine or whatever, and they're just yeah. trying to do their two or three years, not in touch with anything, <laughs> two or three years so that they can uh, get their loans paid off, like. The students, they act a little differently around them than like somebody who's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And like, oh, all the stuff that you are going through right now, like I went through a version of that too. Um, but yeah, teaching is really hard. And what ends up happening is any like, anytime you approach or have to handle anything that's difficult, you're either going to just, you're either going to be like, this sucks, I quit. Like me with construction or me mm-hmm. with math or me with anything. Yeah. Um, or you're going to be like, this sucks. I want to be better at it. And mm. that's what that was the first time that that happened to me in like a professional capacity was with teaching. I was like, dang, this sucks, but I want to be good. And I just stuck around. Uh, who did you seek for uh, like uh, at least guidance or anything like that? Uh, they Your first year, they pair you up with like a, a mentor teacher, this guy named David Martisek. Um, he was actually a, a white guy, but he he had been there for years. He knew how to move around. You joked about Presbo from the wire, like he was Presbo from the wire nice. by this point. He knew all of the he he was doing like the home visits too, yeah, which I always respected. He was like super prepared. Um, he was a really he was a really good mentor to have because he wasn't trying to like baby you, yeah, at all. I remember one time I went in the copy room, so you you have to make your own copies, and I saw like an assignment that fit perfectly with the stuff that I was doing in my class. And I saw that it was Marta Sex. And I was like, I didn't, I didn't find this anywhere on the internet. It wasn't in any of the books, but it looks perfect. So I took one and I made some copies. And uh, I didn't think it was like a big deal. And then I went and told him, hey, I grabbed one of your copies off of there. And he like chewed me out for it. And he was like, I made that myself. I, 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 looked, at the, I looked at the curriculum that I needed to teach. The, the teaks is what they're called. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw what was important. I designed this specifically for my class, not for you to take. And he like he like laid into me, and I was mad about it at first. And then like he sort of buttoned everything up by saying like, "Do you want what type of teacher do you want to be? Are you going to be the teacher that has to like find a thing in the copy room, or are you going to be the teacher that makes the thing?" Mm. And, and I was like, "Oh, I guess you're right. Like this sucks. You're chewing me out in front of everybody because it happened in front of other teachers." Yeah. But like I get what you're saying, and like all right, I'm going to start making my own shit too, and. uh yeah, he was he was there early on, and then there were, there were other ones. This guy named 
Kevin O'Neill, this like older guy, Todd Giesler. Again, most of these are like white men and white women yeah. at the school, but but uh, yeah, they have been around for a bit. So, um, did you have any representation at, at your high school when you were attending high school? Like, were there any teachers that looked like you, or they're all white as well? Uh, most of them were were white. I didn't have any any like Mexican American teachers who were guys. Mm. Uh, I had one in <laughs> sixth or seventh grade who taught music. And uh, and that was it. That was there was never like a Mr. Hernandez or a Mr. Rodriguez. Um, yeah, I feel like I didn't have that till I was in high school. Yeah, it's wild. <clears throat> um, I had this exact conversation in college when uh, I was changing my major and like deciding I was going to be a teacher or whatever. Uh, I met with this woman named Dr. Strauss. She was a Mexican woman, but she had married this Jewish guy, and uh, mm. and she pulled me into her office, and I like thought I was in trouble because I'd never been pulled into like a. a professor's office before and uh, we had a whole long conversation about like where I was from how I was like the only other Mexican in her classroom it was just me and her and then like a bunch of non-Mexicans and so she started asking me uh, she asked me specifically about teaching and like do you did you have any teachers who look like you when you were growing up and I was like no and I didn't think anything of it because whatever that was just normal like every teacher that I had looked a certain way and she's like don't you think that that's weird that you lived in this part of San Antonio where the population was one thing and the people in charge are another thing. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I ever like really thought about it. And I was like, oh, I guess when I be a teacher, I'm going to be in like a, a classroom like what I was in. Yeah. It seems like you understand who, who you are. Like, you're like, I'm a Mexican-American writer. Like, mm-hmm. You make that abundantly clear. Yeah. Uh, do you think more people need to do that? Like, like embrace who they are and not try to like shy away from it? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I think you do whatever you feel most comfortable with. Okay. Some people are not comfortable with like putting that information out there, centering that information, mm-hmm. which is is fine. It makes sense. Um, I certainly didn't do it in the beginning of my writing career. It wasn't until like became important later on uh, when I was seeing that there were so few of us that were out there. Yeah. And it was like, well, I you know somebody needs to sort of raise their voice a little bit. Yeah. Um, I guess I guess I'll do it, uh, but it's not easy. It's certainly not easy. I was just talking yesterday about this on Twitter. Like every every day, somebody is telling me to fucking go back to Mexico. Every <laughs> single day on Twitter, somebody tells me that, nice. and it's like, I mean, I whatever. It doesn't it doesn't bother me because it's always usually like some idiot Trump supporter, yeah, or something like that. But like that's just that's just a part of what it is. Hmm. Um. Speaking of Trump supporters, um, I know you were a fan of Kanye's. How do you feel about Kanye right now? So, <laughs> I feel like no one's asking this question. And I, I, yeah, I think Kanye is gone. I think, uh, yeah, I think he's right. just. Um, I was I was emailing a, with a buddy of mine one time, and we were talking about Kanye. This was like maybe a year or two ago, when it felt like he was sort of drifting away yeah. from. Uh, you know, he he sort of built his early reputation on being, he's the guy who can like talk about the stuff that we're all sort of feeling or experiencing. Yeah. You know, he was like the college dropout kid. And I was in college at the time when all this stuff was happening mm-hmm. um, or when like he was on his rise to power. Yeah. And uh, and so we just assumed like he's really good at, at presenting, I don't know, this sort of information in a certain sort of way. And then as he became richer and... and uh, more famous all of his stuff started to started to skew that way Mm -hmm. and it was like oh he's not really good at talking about um 
this sort of lifestyle. He's to, he's good at talking about whatever lifestyle he's living. Mm. Like that's what that's where that's where he like really ex- excels. Jay Z, for example, Jay Z can still talk about whatever he he like he has that sort of that eye. Nas is another example. Nas can just sort of like absorb all this information and present it in a way that makes sense to everybody. But but Kanye is really good at talking about what he's experiencing and it just so happened that when he was starting out a bunch of us about the same age were in the exact same position so it felt like he was talking for us yeah i don't think he was i think it's clear at this point he was talking about what he was experiencing for himself yeah which is like you know it's not a good thing or a bad thing it's just a thing yeah um but yeah i was not like excited about the new kanye album or yeah anything it's crazy like that. to see like it, I, I thought like i didn't think we would see him
And that was the, the only time I, I ever did anything like that was like with Edgar. He was the best. <laughs> Edgar. He was the best. Have you seen those memes of like Edgar? He has the bad taper fade in the little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why we keep laughing because. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Dead ass, dude. It's always, it's always and, them with that same haircut. People apart, it, and one of them has that haircut. And I'm like, wow, man. Yeah. Just, it never fails. It's always one of, <laughs> it's always one of y'all, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. Uh, so, what's the first rap album you ever purchased? The like, first one that I ever purchased for myself was probably, I think, it was Missy's Super Duper Fly, if I'm mm. not mistaken. Because by this point, uh, I had a job, yeah. so I had a little bit of money in my pocket, and I remember the rain came out and just being like, "What is this? This is incredible! I've never heard anything like this." Okay. And see, and then you see the video, and you're like, "There's something special going on here." And I was always sort of drawn to to the rap music that does something like that. Like Outcast is another example. And oh like, yeah, was Socket to me on that album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That crazy, dude. But she showed up and I was like, this is, this is incredible. And then I got into the whole, like, there was like a whole Virginia movement after that with Pharrell and, uh, and, uh, Timberland and Magoo. Fucking Magoo was like killing it. People um, forget about Magoo. Yeah. He's forgotten. But there's this song called All Y'all. Yeah. And it has like this crazy, like, flute sample. Mm-hmm. And like, he kills it. I, song's crazy. I always liked the one where, where they had the Knight Rider beat. Yeah, and, uh, I used to, we, we, I remember we downloaded that beat on LimeWire. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was a FrostWire kid. FrostWire. <laughs> I got, I got internet like in 2010, dog. But <laughs> I was like super poor. I was fucking poor, dog. What the fuck? But, uh, yeah, that was, that, that was probably the first album. I, I think it was either her or a Master P album. The mm. one where he's like, I think he's having sex on the cover and there's like a guy peeking through the windows going to try to kill him. I loved him. I really. My coach from Houston, Coach Campbell. He fucking loves Master P. He loves Master P. Any anything south, he's like yeah, 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 dude. Like he told me one like, this one story where when uh, Master P had, he was living in Houston, his homie found out where he lived. He's like, hey, let's go, let's go drive by Master P's house. Little Romeo was playing basketball. He was like a little kid, and the hmm. ball rolled over, and like they stopped their car, and then like all Master P's goons just looked at him, and they were just like fucking shook <laughs> so romeo gets the ball and he just goes back into the yard and they just drive off <laughs> he's like we never went back to that neighborhood again that sounds right <laughs> um john michael tell him your <laughs> your first album what Lincoln park oh god yes he used to think mike shinoda was everybody did everybody had a lincoln park face <laughs> Dude, they're a big part of, of American culture now. <laughs> <laughs> they did a whole album with Jay Z, like they were doing things. <laughs> bro, that album that got me into Jay Z, bro. I was like in fifth grade. No, UGK got me into Jay Z because of Big Pimpin'. Yeah, because yeah. all all my music I consumed it through the radio. Mm-hmm. Is that how you consume music? Yeah. You just through the radio at the time. Yeah. Well, when did the internet come into your life? That shoot, not until. 2007 or 8 or something like that we had we had a computer i remember we got a computer when i was like my senior year of high school we had one in the house for the first time um and we had like the dial-up internet or you get like the cd 10 hours free or something or whatever bullshit 
Um, but then, yeah, I went to college and they like make you have an email address, but I never really use the internet. And then when I got to, when I started teaching, I guess I started using it around then to like find internet stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was probably, I think I started teaching in 2007. So somewhere around there. Damn. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, I was late to it. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. I would, yeah. I would print out pictures of LeBron and Rajon Rondo. That's the one I would go to when we, when I come home from college and then we didn't have the, we didn't have the internet anymore at the house. And uh, you'd have to go to Johnston Library. Johnson Where's Library. that at? It's right there off Laguna Base. There's a, it used to be a, a, a Valero. Yeah. I think it's like a Circle K. Dude, yeah. Circle K's taking over, man. It's like a gas hey, station. The fire. Finally went. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I can see all the hype's about. Clean as hell. I walked in like, the other, and they have like, security, one, dude. Dude, there's one guy, he's taking like four orders at one time. And I was just like, man, Yeah, that's what's up. Um, Good old gas station. I remember there were two. There were two in Valley High that we would go to. There was this, the Circle K one you're talking about uh, before it was a stop and go, and then there was one like a neighborhood one that was run down by across the street from the Air Force Base. Yeah, the corner to the left. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and that was the one that we would go to if you had like if you had food stamps, you would go to that one because they would let you pay for like candy with food stamps. Hell and yeah. Change, but stop and go wouldn't wouldn't let you do that. So like if you got real cash, oh we're walking a stop and go today. If you had the food stamps, you're like... Which one's the one across the street from Southwest? What? I remember we, have, we would have track meets there and we would walk to that store. Yeah. Rachel's Country Corner? Rachel's Country Corner is right there. But the, you're talking about the one that's directly across it, right? I think so. I don't I, know. I, it was like... That's right the first place I ever got beer. For real? <laughs> like, I, I was like 16 and they were like, hey, that guy's not going to check your ID. Yeah. And I went in there and I was like, uh, Keystone Light, like a 30 pack. <laughs> and then they were just like, he was like, all right. Ten bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I looked like a little ass cave. You know, uh-huh. like, you didn't care. Through shaggy hair. It was like a mom and pop ass place. Yeah, dude, that's country corner was crazy. I wish you'd been able to like. Yeah, dude, like, I never went beyond my fucking neighborhood. Like, like dead ass. Like, if I went to South Park Mall, that was like going to Lock and Terra to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not even joking, dude. Like, that was like. Did we take the bus to Ingram? Yeah, Ingram yeah. was too far for me. I was like, I didn't even know the bus routes. I was like, hell no, that's too far. We're gonna get it's lost. A whole nother world over I there. Thought, I thought Ingram was like. All right, I, I gotta have money to be here. Yeah, you know it's like Beverly That's Selena movie, dude. Yeah. That's where the Selena movie was shot. I mean, yeah, but like Ingram Park Mall. Have you seen it now? They they did they redid the whole mall. Oh yeah, it's fucking huge, dude. I went there to get a pair of shoes because like they didn't have them at North Star. And hell nah, fuck oh, that. Hey, Rachel's Country Corner was this place. It was like a petting zoo. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. A yeah, petting they, zoo? They had animals. Yeah, they had animals, but they re- they got shut down because a buffalo or yeah. a bison or whatever killed somebody. In there. And, and she had to sell it. She, she lost like a lawsuit. Dude, that's so funny, man. He was the saddest buffalo. <laughs> it was like a weird. Like I remember the buffalo being in there, and they had like a Z donk. They had a Z donk, which is like a half zebra, zebra donk. half donkey. Oh, okay, okay. But it's an. It's like it turns out it's an actual animal that has a real name. Um, but there was like they had monkeys in there, and then in one like she had regular, like there was a cat in one cage, <laughs> and like a dog in another cage. And you're like, Dad, you got a dog right next to the monkey. What is this organization? <laughs> oh, my God. You walk in, it's just like a normal dog? Yeah, right there. What the fuck? Like Rachel, she was doing that. <laughs> uh, I want to go back to when you started writing. Uh-huh. Um, have you kept in contact with the Near Northwest Banner? <laughs> what they've been up oh, to lately? Oh, no, that was the first place I ever wrote. Uh, <laughs> I have not talked to anybody. I would assume... 
that the woman who ran that has passed away. She was really old when I first met her. Okay. Uh, she would I, crank them out, right? Yeah. She was like making them in her garage with her husband. And they were really old. And they paid me like in a personal check, 15 bucks. Um, but yeah, near Northwest Banner, that was the first place I ever rode. I found it in like a kiosk at a Star Pizza. And they had like, at the time, there were a bunch of different neighborhood newspapers. Yeah. And I was trying to find a place that would let me write for them. And I just grabbed one of all of them and then like <clears throat> tried to find email addresses through there. And she was the first one. I'll never that forget was in That was in Houston, yeah. Uh, Star Pizza, what is that? It's just like a, a pizza spot. It's really good. good though, yeah. Check that out if you're in Houston. They make like a really, like a deep dish pizza that yeah. I really like. Like lasagna style? Yeah, oh, it was good. I'm not a deep dish fan, dude. Yeah, I like all pizza. Yeah. No, pizza's great, but I don't hate it. Like, if it's there, I'll eat it. I mean, free food is great food. But I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pay for I wouldn't pay for Yeah, I wouldn't pay for deep dish, but... Um, so, from there, where do you go? Where do you go to from near Northwest Banner? Uh, then I started writing Houston for Weekly? Houston Community Newspapers. Okay. That was my first experience with somebody trying to, like, not pay me for my work. Oh, shit. Um, which happens to, like, every freelancer eventually. And then I went from there to the Houston Press... And that's where I met this guy named Chris Gray. He was a music editor at the time. And Margaret Downing, who was the editor-in-chief at the time. Mm -hmm. And those two were the ones who like taught me how to be an actual writer. Here's mm -hmm. how you... The, the other places, they're just like, turn in whatever you want and we'll run that. Yeah. We're not going to edit it. Yeah. Uh, but this one, Houston Press, they're like, here's how you write a story. Here's how you like request information from the courthouse. Mm -hmm. Here's how you interview somebody. Here's like, here's what... Here's how you be good. Here's how you not be good. They were the ones who like took an active interest in trying to teach me how to be a writer. Yeah. So I stuck around there for a good little bit, three, four years. I was freelancing for them and, and pitching other places. And, uh, you know, eventually started pitching places like MTV, ESPN, um, all these other spots that... How did you get into the music scene? Was they just like, they well, assigned it to you or you were just interested Houston, in it? The Houston Press was, they weren't doing sports at the time. Okay. And uh, I just needed something that I could write about. And uh, I, I got a, a paper. I flipped through it. I went on their website. I scrolled through that and saw that they were covering, like, arts, music, food. These were, like, the three main things. And I don't know much about art and I don't know much about food, but I, like, at least had a passing knowledge of music. Yeah. And so I just started pitching them music stuff. And then eventually I started pitching them rap stuff because I saw they weren't doing very much rap coverage. What? And that's uh in Houston, that's in Houston yeah. That's crazy. That's wild. Yeah. And uh so once I started doing that, then I like had my in. Then I I was like, "Oh, I'm just going to make myself the like Houston rap guy." And uh I just started pitching them every day rap stuff, rap stuff, rap stuff, rap stuff. And like local rap too. Yeah. Which was important um, cuz that's what they wanted to be covering. And uh that's what it ended up. Were there any guys that you saw and you're like, "Oh, dude, this guy's going to be big." And sure enough, they blew up. Rappers, yeah. Um, Maxo Cream was oh, one was one of them, hard, dog. Um, and then he Maxo. ended up becoming like a big thing. Uh, I left after Megan The Stallion showed up. Oh shit! She became like she's probably the most famous one right now. But I, so I was there after the Mike Jones era, okay. like two thousand and four, two thousand five ish. Um, so I I got whatever that next wave was. Kirko Bangs, for okay. example. Um, this guy named Propane, this guy named D-Lo. Propane, I haven't heard him in a long time. He's good. He just got a new tape coming out on, on November 27, I think. He was one of my favorites. Yeah, he spelled it P-A-I-N. Like yeah, like Pain, yeah. Um, but they were all like really 
it was really, really good to hang out with him and to be around those guys, uh, to be around that class of, of like a, of rappers because I was watching them sort of figure out figure out how to like exist on the internet, how to like make your own way. Because if you're uh, if you're any sort of like a musician, you have to figure all this shit out on your own. Mm-hmm. There's no musician company you can go to and learn all this stuff. So I'm watching them. There's a guy named Les. Settle for less was L-E-S. yeah. L E S. The S is a dollar sign. Yeah, the shrimp. Steak and shrimp. Steak and shrimp. Um, you listening before? Nah. He's really he's tight, bro. He's really really good, and he he was the one who, to me, when I watched him, I'm like, okay, he knows number one exactly what he wants to sound like, which is important. He's not he's not trying to sound like anybody else. He's just doing this music that is interesting to him. It's very like cosmic and just sort of spacey. It feels like if you were riding your car. Up into the sun. That's what it feels like when you listen to him. And you're like, damn, he nailed this. He knows the music he wants to make. That's important. Number two, he knows the like image he wants on the internet of himself. He's like a cool looking guy, first of all. But also he teamed up with a photographer named uh, Georgie, who does all of his videos and all of his like uh, album covers. I'll show you. Uh, but also he like does cool shit like this. For example, he makes a kind of tape where you're like, damn, I wish this existed on cassette. And then sure enough, he went and made them all into cassettes. And I'm like, oh, I got to buy this. I don't even have a tape player, but I just wanted to have the tapes that he was making. And he was like figuring out that he didn't have to reach every single person in America. He just needed a small group of fans who were going to buy his stuff whenever it came out. And if you do that, then you can like make your own way. You can make whatever if you if you sell a tape this uh, a, a tape for 10 bucks and you're the one making them if you sell 20,000 of those tapes over the course of 2 years it's $200,000 that you've made minus whatever it costs but he seemed to to me to be the one to first figure out you can just build up your own little corner of the internet and exist like that and you don't have to worry about all the other bullshit yeah. And uh, did, they, just, did just, they kind of school you? On yeah, like just, what you were doing. Yeah, and this wasn't like a conversation we sat down and had. <clears throat> yeah, this was like I'm just watching him Observe. do this thing, and I'm like, oh, duh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, why do I, why do I need to like do all this other stuff when I can just do this one thing? And uh, and so it was just really like important to me uh, to learn all of this stuff from like watching men and women do exactly the the this stuff because all that same stuff applies to to writing like yeah. you don't need to you don't need i don't need to sell my books to everybody i just need a small group of people to buy them and i can just keep on living mm. um so when when did it change for you as far as a, as a writer when it took you to like this that, that other level that upper echelon level uh bill bill showing up was like the first big leap uh because then it became okay this is like the thing you're gonna do for a living now. yeah I'm like all right cool that's like one level the rap yearbook coming out and being on the bestseller list was like another big, a big step because now, now if you have to like say New York Times bestselling author Shea Serrano, that's like a real thing, that that people will recognize immediately. Um, the basketball book coming out, and then not only making the list but being number one on the, on the list was like a huge thing because this is the difference between being in the playoffs and winning the playoffs now, mm-hmm. um, and we sold. At, like of that one, the first week, I don't remember exactly what the numbers were. We were somewhere around 30,000 copies for the Damn. first week, uh, which is like a ton. That if, is horrible. If, if you're like, I mean, there are different levels of, of, of authors, but if you can be somewhere in that camp, if you can put out a book and sell 20, 30,000 copies, 
now you're going to make like enough money that you don't really have to worry too much about stuff anymore. And, uh, and so the, the basketball book coming out and then like around that same time, the rap yearbook got turned into a documentary that's on AMC. Like you oh, can watch, right. it's on there right now. You can go on, on AMC and watch it. Um, and then the basketball book ended up being on Barack Obama's like favorite books of the year list. And that was like another big thing. So I think all of that stuff started around 2015. Yeah. And then it's just sort of slowly gotten bigger and bigger since. Have you ever been able to like just sit down and like kind of like digest all of it or no? Yeah, I think about it all the time. It just doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to me because I know I'm not the best writer. Mm-hmm. I know I, I can name you 10 writers right now who are I know 100% are just better than me at thinking about things and expressing those thoughts. Um, but, uh, you know, a bunch of this cool <clears throat> shit has gotten to has like happened or just sort of fallen into my lap. And uh, I think about it basically every single every single day when I wake up in a house and I'm like, damn, we built this house off of like selling books and shit yeah. or making jokes on the Internet. So or like it doesn't sorry. it doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense. My, you know, my uh, I was like, ma, you can uh, you don't have to work anymore if you don't want to work anymore. She worked at the corner store for like 30 years. Yeah. And it's like, hey, you can stop if you want. And I got you. And like the, all of this shit it just doesn't. I think about it all the time, and the the like bad side of that is I think about like damn somebody's gonna come show up and take all this shit away eventually. Somebody will, and 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 even if it's not just like somebody actually saying okay, give me all the stuff back, but somebody will show up and take my spot. Like it could be you, you could be the you could be the guy. And like, um, there's a writer that I really like. We're talking about writers who are better than me. It's a guy named Wesley Morris, and he came up with this with this like fun theory that he has about market correction in movie stars. Mm-hmm. And you're like, a movie star was going to take off and then somebody else showed up and they did like a better version of that same thing and then this person got pushed to the side. So like an easy example is there's an actress I really like. Her name's Liv Tyler. She was in uh, Strangers. She was in That Thing You Do. She was in Armageddon. She's been in like a ton of movies and she's incredible in every single movie. And she was like positioned to be this big star um, bigger than she was and then Anne Hathaway showed up and Anne Hathaway is like a better version of her. people will say she's a better version of Liv Tyler I think they're both incredible but like Anne Hathaway all right cool better version sure but she like knocked Liv out of the way and took that spot and Damn. it's like somebody's probably going to do that to me at some point no I don't think so and it's going to suck it's going to suck so. a lot I think your your perspective is too, too unique but see, that's the thing. It's not because we're all sitting here, the three of us right now, and every thought that I have about a thing is like a version of a thought that you have about a thing because we all grew up the same way. Yeah. I just happened to get there first. That's the only difference. If, if, if Jose would have been there, it would have been like, dang, it's cool to see like a South Side San Antonio Mexican up here talking about basketball or music or whatever because it's a different, a different viewpoint. Like yeah. The only reason I seem different is because there's not any others of me up there yet. But eventually... Jose's coming or you're coming or somebody else that I don't even know yet is coming and it's going to be like damn that sucks is that something that you're going to be like you're going to accept because you think about it all fuck the time no. no he said fuck no we're going to war <laughs> as soon as I think you're a threat I'm I'm coming for your neck I gotta you will not live Tyler me bro you, you will not, not live Tyler me you bro not oh my god Josh Hartnett is another one. Remember Josh Hartnett? He was like in everything. He was in Pearl Harbor. He was in The Faculty. 
He was in uh, 40, what is it, 40 days, 40 nights or something like that. Uh, now that you said Port Hartnett, I know you're talking about. He's like, he's really cool, really handsome. And so what happened with Josh Hartnett is he was poised to be like an actual big movie star. He was like a teen movie star yeah. or like early 20s. This is the guy you want to be. Just cool looking. Cool hair, cool style, tall, handsome, uh, whatever. Look him up on the internet. As soon as you see his face, you're like, oh, clearly this guy was a movie star. And uh, he had the opportunity to be Batman. In Christopher Nolan's remake of Batman, he was like one of the people up for it. And he decided he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to be like the Batman guy. And Christian Bale did it. And then Christian Bale shot out of here. Because during that time, they also did Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale together did The Prestige which was an incredible movie. And then uh, this Batman franchise turned into like the marquee superhero franchise. We can treat superhero movies differently than we did when like George Clooney was a Batman, whatever. (laughs) But a lot of people felt like Christian Bale sort of took Josh Hartnett's spot right here. And now where's Josh Hartnett? I don't know. And where's where's, uh, Christian Bale? He's got a new movie coming out this week uh, with Matt Damon at Ford versus Ferrari, which is... It's already a, like an Oscar contender. They're talking about it that that way. Like, it happens. That happens. Yeah. And but we gotta see. You gotta admit, Bell is just cooler than Hartnett. I don't think he's cooler than Hartnett. He's. I, I don't think so. I think if we're just talking about straight up cool, Josh Hartnett is my guy. But he has, but, you know, what are you gonna? Yeah, do? he has an accent though. Like he's he's got that over Josh. Bell. Yeah. 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 Bell's one of the coolest, bro. It's like this. He's Bell. an incredible actor. Yeah. I think he's a better actor. For sure. Uh, I just watched, I've been rewatching all the Christian Bale movies. I just watched Vice again last night, American Hustle, American Psycho, Rescue Dawn, like all of these Christian he's, Bale movies. He's, he's you unbelievable. Think, you think he's top 10 actors of all time? All time? I, mm. I would have to give some, some thought to that. I don't think you can put him up there. Probably not. Because I can think of four or five just immediately that are yeah, better right. than him. Then after that, it gets a little dicey. I think you got to see what he goes through, like his old man phase. See yeah. what he does then. Because there's like a lot of badass old actors right now, dude. And like, holy shit. Yeah, who knows? It's incredible. Who knows? But again, market correction. Somebody's probably going to take my spot at some point. That's just how it works. How do you balance being a father of three, a husband? You got book shit going on. You got TV stuff going on. And you got The Ringer. Like, how do you balance all that? Well, at this point, <clears throat> making stuff like this is a... Uh, it's just part of my job. This yeah. podcast right now, I'm considering this. We're at my we're at my office. We're, yeah. we're doing work. This is me working. Um, it was much harder when I was teaching. Yeah. Because writing was a part time job. It was like stuff I had to do in my off time. But now all of the writing stuff that I have to do, I do it during the day, from like the time the boys leave for school until mm-hmm. the time they get home from school. So I'm at work from eight thirty or so until like. 4.30 or so. I'm doing all of my stuff during that. So there's not like a, you know, there's not a, a hard thing to balance. That's a question that like freelance writers ask me all the time because you you probably have 10 other things going on that, yeah. that are pulling at, at your time. Me, I don't have that anymore. All of my time goes to, to this. And then as soon as I leave out of here, I don't do any work at home. I'm just dad at home. Just a husband at home. That's dope, dude. Yeah, can't wait to get to that point. It's way better. It's way better. <laughs> Trust me. We'll get there soon. Yeah, I mean, and and you and you will, because if you don't, then you don't, and that's yeah. No, nah, that, that that's not an option. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to talk about the story that when, when we met, um, I always want to correct you. I took a cab 
which is way more expensive than a fucking oh, you Uber. Took a cab? Cab's fucking expensive. Oh, from the air, from the bus station. From the bus to, station. Oh, okay. This that shit was. Ex- well, that's yours. <laughs> no, Ubers were a thing, which is why he should. No, they didn't. They didn't exist in San Antonio, though. No, I tr- I downloaded that shit and like it didn't work. I don't know why it didn't work. Like it's like your Uber's coming and it never came. <laughs> and I'm like I'm running late to go to Southside Houston, which is fucking far from downtown. It's real far. And I was pissed, dude. Like the cab pulled up and they, they didn't have swangas or anything. I was like, bro, this is like bullshit. I'm going back to San Antonio, dog. <laughs> Um, I usually give people the floor. I tell them to talk their shit. So, I mean, you can talk your shit about your victories or whatever. Oh, nah. I think uh, I think we've talked enough of the shit already. <laughs> I think we're good. I don't have any any pressing shit that needs to be talked at the moment. I'm trying to think of the last question I asked you. What's the worst taco place in San Antonio? <sighs> Damn dog. <laughs> I know. I'm. I, well, I, yeah, I, mean, I just want people to know. If you say it's on the west side, we're throwing hands right now. Yeah, dude. I can't so think of. I can't think of too many. We're too many about bad Tom ones. The other day. There's a lot of them, dude. Are there? Tommy's is overrated as fuck, dude. Sorry. I like Tommy's. I like Tommy's. It's overrated. But overrated. you're a hater. Yeah. Tommy's is great. Tommy's they're is not good. bad, and they didn't say they're bad. They just said they're overrated as fuck. Um. But when I go to Tommy's, I don't get tacos though. I get like their pancake special thing, which is the move. Um, no, that I never tried. So, yeah. The the uh, location that's over near me, which is by that Walmart off of, uh, I don't remember where it is. It's like on the north side though. The one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one I don't care too much for. <coughs> that's the good one though. You go down there. I ordered a migas taco there one time, <coughs> mm-hmm. and uh, I just opened it up and just ate all of the migas out because I was like, this is this is already good by itself. I don't need it in a thing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I'm I can't think of guy. too many like too many like bad taco spots that I've been to in Is San Houston Antonio. Have bad taco spots? Houston, uh, yeah, I'm sure that they do. I mean, see, the thing of it is, I'm not like trying to catalog the bad places. I just go, and if I don't like it, I just don't go back. Yeah. So I only know my 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 good we spots. Were, we were like trying to indicate what what lets us to believe. Like, how do you know? And if the beans are bad, then I know where the tacos are. Yeah, I judge in the carne asada too. Yeah, carne asada. Like I, I judge it by the carne asada. I always go by the by the tortillas. Tortillas too. I like them thick. Me but... too. <coughs> like Mendez Cafe, the best ones. The best. The best. That's my favorite spot. Never been. Their 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 tortillas are like an inch thick. Like when you're eating it, you can feel your heart failing. It's just like this those is are the gonna, best, man. This is gonna be bad for me. Have you had a Have you eaten at a place called Swine House? Swine House. Swine House. It's like a half a mile away from where we are right now. It's not a taco spot. It's like a meat spot. And uh, that reminds me of the place at the Pearl. Fuck the Pearl. Boulders. You heard Boulders? Boulders? Boulders. No. It's on Flores. It's like a meat market, but they sell like meat. They sell like pastrami sandwiches. So this this guy, uh, I just met him not too long ago. His name is Joe. He runs a spot, and uh, I don't know exactly the like business model that they have. But I, I, I've been led to believe he just like buys a chunk of meat from wherever, mm-hmm. some like fancy meat, and then he turns it into a bunch of different things. So the first time I went there, I got a hot dog. Oh, Everyone wow. I was like, oh, you got to try this hot dog. And I'm like, it's fucking hot dog, whatever. I've had a hot dog before, but I got one. Yeah, and let's it was go there, delicious. Dude. And immediately I was like, I want to eat another one of these. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, we're out. And he hasn't had them <laughs> since then. It's been like a month, so and I've been waiting. I've been texting him. I got his number. He's like, hey, that, look, I sent that on Monday. That's literally the text I sent. Joe, it's Shay. You got any any of them hot dogs available today? And said, then, nah, 
and he was like, oh, well, I'm making hot dogs today, but not till this <laughs> afternoon, and they won't be smoked until Dude, tomorrow. Funny. That was on Monday, and then he texted me this morning at 9.29 a.m. with pictures of the hot dogs, <laughs> and he's like, come tomorrow, they're going to be ready tomorrow. But this, yeah. this, this is like the level of food we're talking about, where he has been working on these hot dogs for four days. So they must be good. They're so good. I love hot dogs, man. Go go there tomorrow, Swine House. Do you know whose hot dogs? Do you know whose hot dogs were good? Um, Eagles Corner. Eagles Corner, the place yeah. by Breckner. Yeah, when they closed down. Yeah. Damn, dude, that, that shit was good. Do you, do you put chili cheese all over your dog or no? No, go to the gal- go to the Galleria by Lanier High School. Hello, toppings on your dog or no? Uh, I don't like chili on mine. No. But I like other stuff. He, the, this guy makes some like jalapeno. Sriracha use or something. I don't know. That's it's, how she made hers. That's how she made hers. It's, gr- sounds good. it's green and I like green, so I just was like, I like green, and it was so good. Oh, the green sauce is always better. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, absolutely. Yeah, um, I'm gonna ask where they can find him. Like, they, like they don't know where to fucking find him. <laughs> but where can they find you, Shay Serrano? Find me on the internet. Just type, in, type in Shay Serrano, and it'll pop up. All right, guys, that wraps it up for the Quinceanera episode. Uh, stay brown. <laughs>